Welcome back to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinel's Mike Wilson, back by popular demand this week. Always enjoy having Mike on the podcast. Been far too long since we've heard from him. But uh, John Adams and Adam Sparks are out this week on furlough, and they will be back with us soon. So in the meantime, Mike is is jumping in, pinch hitting for us today. Mike, welcome back into the pod. It's good to hear from you. It's good to be here. And yeah, it's a furlough fill-in. Seems like as good a time as any to remind people that supporting local journalism and subscribing to your local newspaper is a great thing to do. Great way to stay informed on the happenings in all sorts of areas, including obviously the sports side. And that's where we hit. So yeah, always, always a good way to spend money there is to subscribe to the local newspaper. Absolutely. So you can subscribe to Knox News. Uh, we appreciate you as well listening to our podcast. It's another good time to remind you if you hit the rate, the subscribe, the review, that helps us out here on the Volunteer State, helps more listeners find us uh, like you all have. And hopefully they will enjoy listening to us as well. Mike, want to get into some conversation this week about Heisman voting. The The results uh, came out on, on Saturday. Of course, we knew prior to that that Hinden Hooker uh, was not among the finalists. As it turns out, he was he was just on the outside looking in of the, the finalist list, finished fifth in the voting. Of course, the top four were finalists. Caleb Williams of USC won the award, followed by Max Duggan, C.J. Stroud, and Stetson Bennett. Now, both you and I are Heisman voters, which doesn't it sounds elite, but it really isn't. Hundreds of people uh, across America have have Heisman votes. And I know if it were up to you and I, Hinden Hooker would have been a finalist. Uh, we both had him uh, on our ballots. I know Adam Sparks did as well. John Adams had him on his ballot. Uh, I don't remember exactly where John and Adam had Hooker on their ballots. I had him at number two. Is that also where you had him, I'm thinking? I did. I thought it was a pretty easy decision in terms of who the number one and number two people were in the Heisman this year. Not a great Heisman year, as I'm sure most people kind of have seen and acknowledged. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty obvious Caleb Williams one, Hendon Hooker two at the end of the season. Probably would have voted that differently um, week 10, week 11. But yeah, I thought the top two was very easy. Yeah, and I went I went the same way at the top. I went Caleb Williams one, Hendon Hooker two. And I went Max Duggan of TCU three. You went CJ Stroud of Ohio State yes. third. Yeah. 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 And and like you, if balloting was due on, say, November 1st, I would have had Hinton Hooker atop my ballot. I mean, I think um I, I think for me, every every Heisman voter approaches this differently. I, I do try to look at it through a lens of full body of work. I look at it uh, as well of you know how impactful were you to your team's success. That year, I don't think your team has to make the playoff uh, to to get a vote on my Heisman ballot, but I do think you need to have been uh, fairly impactful to your team's success. I, I think when viewed through the body of work lens, when viewed through what Hinden Hooker meant to Tennessee, I think he has a really, really strong case uh, that he should have been on on Heisman ballots. I'm not one of those people that pounds my fist on the table and tells people how to vote. I think if you if someone has decided you get a ballot, you can vote however you see fit, and I'll vote how I see fit. And I, I thought, you know, from a body of work lens, from what he meant to Tennessee, Hennon Hooker uh, should be on ballots. Now, as you said, late in the year, uh, Hooker was not at his best in, in November. He got out outplayed by Stetson Bennett in the loss to Georgia. Uh, was okay, 
but wasn't at his best in the loss to to South Carolina. And I think that combined with the fact that Tennessee lost twice in November, Tennessee didn't make the playoff, didn't make the college championship, Hooker got hurt, didn't play against Vanderbilt. That was going to knock him out from winning the award. Um, but I think what, what stung a little bit more for Vols fans were, I think a lot of them had come to terms with the fact that he wasn't going to win the award. I think a lot of Tennessee fans were surprised that he didn't make the finalist cut. And yet so much of Heisman voting comes down to recency bias. And Stetson Bennett was was at his best in November and the conference championship game was was really, really good. in that conference championship win over LSU and and team success has a, has a lot to do with Heisman voting as well. And um, and Stetson Bennett's you know, on the number one team in, in the nation. And so you know, I think for a lot of voters and in different parts of the country, different regions of the country, if they had like one spot left for a guy from the SEC, you know, you could see someone out West or up North or someone that maybe didn't follow this conference as closely as you and I did saying, Oh, Hey, Stetson Bennett looked really good at the end of the year. George is number one. I got one spot left. I'll go with Stetson Bennett. Yeah. And and I thought it was a bit of a shame that that it shook out the way it did. I mean, I, I don't know what your voting process looked like in terms of whittling it down to three because it is, it's a small list. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know what everyone else's process looks like, but you know, I put time into it. I, I kind of whittled it down to about 10 people. Um, I didn't have Stetson Bennett in, in the 10. Um, that, that, that to me was where that was a surprise is I, he's a good college football player. There, there's no question about that. He does a really good job for the number one team in the country. He also didn't throw a touchdown pass in four games. Um, and they were earlier season games. But that that stuck out to me as well, that that's something that he didn't do. Um, and obviously that was when you were looking at the finalists. That was the one I think that, that had people scratching their head the most um, when Stetson Bennett's name's announced. Uh, it came as a bit of a surprise. What was more surprising to me was when the voting was, was announced. 929 voters, 870 of them are media members, was how few ballots Hennon Hooker even appeared on. He appeared on about 150 of them, if my third grade level math skills are correct um right around 150 and, and i'm i'm quite surprised by that um i was surprised to see that number be so low uh, i thought the margin between hendon hooker and stetson bennett would be closer than it was pretty surprised to see cj stroud and stetson bennett kind of have that same number of first place votes but what, what this served to remind me was that, that people kind of vote on what they see right and one of the challenges being a Heisman voter as a college football media member is how many things do you see? How many games do you see? How many of these players did you see? The answer is none of them regularly for anyone who's being honest. Um, you don't get to see every game every week and you're not going back and rewatching every game for the sake of transparency. Everyone, everyone knows that you see those elite teams maybe three times throughout the course of the season, um, just where you have a, a window to watch a game. What the voting reflected to me was a whole lot of people watched the SEC championship game and voted. Exactly. That's invented through four touchdown passes against LSU. And that is a game as a media member, everyone pretty much nationally is able to watch that game unless the team you cover or your national reporter and you're at one of those games. But the eyes are so much more on those games than they are a regular season game. And I think what hurt Hendon Hooker is when eyes were on him, it was Alabama when he was tremendous. But that was mid-October, f- faded away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everyone watched the Georgia game, and he was not good against Georgia. He wasn't Tennessee's problem against Georgia, but he wasn't good against Georgia. 
He, he wasn't the best quarterback on the field against he Stetson, Yeah, Stetson Bennett outplayed him. Yeah. And then everyone saw the South Carolina result, and that kind of spoke for itself. Injury, all of that. So there was a lot of factors that, that went against Hennon Hooker. That said, I still thought his resume and what he did uh, deserved a, a trip to New York City for that that award. Yeah, and and I wrote about this last week when when Hinden Hooker didn't make the cut. You know, I I don't think this is like the Illuminati uh, at, at work here or some like deep rooted t- Tennessee conspiracy that that everybody across the country is has been in on for like the last seventy years or something. I, I don't buy that. I know that's going to be a reaction when something like this happens, but I, I think there are more logical factors at play here. Even though both you and I thought Hinden Hooker should have been a finalist, there are, there are some factors at play that aren't just deep-rooted conspiracy theory. A few things I pointed out, recency bias. Um, you know, I think recency bias worked against Hinnon Hooker. Uh, college football playoff effect. Since the start of the CFP era, 58% of the players to finish in the top four of Heisman voting were on a CF, CFP qualifier. So Tennessee did not make the playoffs. Of course, neither did Caleb, neither did Caleb Williams. The winner did not. Um, however, Southern Cal went into that final weekend of the season in position to make the playoff until they lost in the Pac-12 championship. I think that helped him being in the playoff race for longer. Uh, and, and as I said, coming into this year, six, almost 60% of the players to finish in the top four since the start of the playoff era were on playoff qualifying teams. You undoubtedly uh, get a bump being on a playoff team. And then this number really jumped out to me. Since 2014, coming into this year, uh, and the number would be even higher now, uh, but I haven't redone the the math here, but coming into this year, 78% of the Heisman finalists to finish in the top four, to finish in the top four, 78% of them had either appeared in a conference championship game, qualified for the college football playoff, or both. And so I think that really worked against Hinton Hooker. The fact that, you know, Tennessee is not in the playoff and it was not in a conference championship game, as good as this season was for Tennessee. Plus, Hooker got hurt. He wouldn't have been playing in the conference championship even if they made it. But, you know, I, I think those those teams that command the, the spotlight that final weekend of the season, it's as you said, there's only there's only a handful of teams playing that final weekend of the season. Those guys are getting all the hype. They're getting all the attention. They get one final opportunity uh, Caleb Williams played pretty well in that Pac-12 championship game. Southern Cal didn't win, um, but but he had a nice final showing in front of voters. He was he was really really good the week before uh, against Notre Dame. I thought that kind of lifted him to the to the finish line. Stetson Bennett, we've talked about it. His final showing against Heisman voters. Um, you know he, he was throwing four touchdowns against LSU. Max Duggan, TCU didn't win that Big 12 championship, but. He was excellent in, in the fourth quarter and overtime. I, I just think it really worked against Hinton Hooker, fairly or unfairly, the fact that you know not only did he not get to play in the regular season finale because of injury, but also, you know, Tennessee's not in, in the college football playoff. Um, he wouldn't have been in the conference championship game anyway because of his injury, but Tennessee wasn't playing that day. He wasn't getting any of the hype that day. I, I just think he kind of fell off the the radar of, of too many voters uh, at, at, in the last few weeks. I think what you're saying is reflected very much in where, where Michael Penix Jr. finished, right? Uh, he had one of the best seasons of any player in college football, but how many people watched Washington play for even a minute, right. let alone multiple games? Um, I saw him play two, and that was Michigan State-Washington, which I paid attention to. I went to Michigan State. 
and it was an early season top 20 matchup or Michigan State was ranked I don't remember where Washington was at that point um, but I think it, it was in that fringe and I saw the Oregon game and he was tremendous in that game I 4,000 some passing yards had a phenomenal season he finished eighth um, which you you certainly have a good argument for all the people that finished ahead of him Bryce Young being sixth Blake Corum being seventh um, but he had a tremendous season Bijan Robinson, Texas's running backs ninth, also tremendous season. Name brand, people saw Texas play, but um, th- those are teams that didn't get in the spotlight uh, late in the season, not in the conversation, as you were saying. Um, this didn't didn't play out that way. The one thing that I think is interesting with, with Hooker, too, is I feel like going into the South Carolina game, anyone who would have voted at that point probably would have had him in the top three, uh, even despite mm-hmm. the Georgia game being what it was. And that was a mental hurdle for me. And how did Hendon Hooker end up not being a, a finalist just to say, well, did, did Hendon Hooker need to go and throw five touchdown passes against Vanderbilt in order to be a finalist? Because if he had done that, presumably that's the case. Um, just an interesting way that that shook out just with the South Carolina loss and then not being able to play against Vanderbilt due to injury. Seemed like that that derailed the the campaign as much as anything did. And obviously, as you're saying, the South Carolina loss is what eliminated Tennessee from the college football playoff conversation. So I eyes turned elsewhere injury looks elsewhere. Um, but yeah, there, there is not a conspiracy and that obviously took off. I started seeing chatter that Jalen Hyatt was about to get robbed of the Bolitnikoff because Hendon Hooker didn't win the Heisman. And it's just, just one grand scheme to prevent Tennessee players from, from having success and winning things. But obviously that was, debunked pretty quickly there by by Jalen Hyatt winning the bullet deservedly so but yeah Hendon Hooker not being a Heisman finalist that that'll linger with Tennessee fans for a while as some other Heisman things in the past have done as well you know one other thing that was interesting to me working on that column last week Mike was the region voting blocks are are a real thing in, in the Heisman as well this this just kind of blew my mind since 1993 so 1993 Heath Schuler placed second for the Heisman from Tennessee, and then David Palmer of Alabama placed third. Since then, since 93, there's just been two times in which multiple SEC players finished in the top four of voting. Uh, That occurred in in 2007 when uh, Tim Tebow of Florida won the award and Darren McFadden, uh, I believe, was second that year. And then that occurred again in 2020 uh, when... Devonta Smith won the award and there were SEC players all across the the top five um, in, in voting there. There was, uh, I think SEC players claimed four of the top five spots that year in 2020. Now there were other conferences, including the big 10 and the PAC 12 that played smaller schedules that year. That was the pandemic year. Uh, SEC teams played a bigger schedule than some other conferences, but point being, there's just been a couple times where you've had multiple guys from the SEC make that top four finalist list. And so does that speak to like a deep-rooted anti-SEC conspiracy? Maybe a little bit. Maybe there's a little SEC fatigue with some voters. But I think what it more speaks to is the Heisman is very much an award where I think votes get spread out across the country. If, you, if you're a sports writer, um, you know, media member on the West Coast, you're more likely to put Pack twelve guys toward the top of your ballot. If you're you're up in the the north, the northeast, uh, the Midwest, you're more likely to put Big Ten guys. If you're from the South, you're probably thinking uh, SEC, ACC. It's 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 because that's who's in front of us. It's because that's who we see the most. 
Um, and, and so I do think it is it is difficult if Stetson Bennett was was grabbing some of those votes from some people outside of the South. It makes it difficult for a guy like Hendon Hooker to also appear on ballots, not necessarily from Southern voters. I think a lot of Southern voters is probably who who had Hendon Hooker on their ballots. I think, you know, in those other parts of the country, you know, where, where the SEC is not on their their TV front and center, you know, Saturday in, Saturday out. I think that can work against a guy, particularly when you're not playing the last couple of weeks of the year. And there's two thoughts behind that. One is just you obviously vote on what you know and what you see. But I also think underneath that is the other side, which is the the intimate knowledge you gain of that. Um, I, I wrestled with, with who to put third on this ballot. Um, there were three or four good choices, I thought. Um, Michael Penix Jr. mentioned him earlier. CJ Stroud is who I ended up choosing. I, I had Max Duggan a little bit lower. Um, I great player, but wasn't wasn't as high for me on that. Um, but the reason, and this speaks to what you're saying about the intimate level of knowledge that, that can be that can factor in. I gave CJ Stroud a flyer on his Northwestern performance because I because the weather game in November yeah. in Evanston, Illinois. I know how miserable it was to be in the press box that day. <laughs> So the thought of, of playing that game uh, ha- had an impact on me to the point that I could look at that and say, ah, I threw for like 75 yards. Of course, you can throw the baller on the lakeshore in Lake Michigan in the winter and lousy weather. A little bit of a flyer, uh, a little bit of a pass on that. So I think that's just the kind of stuff that factors in is people know and pay attention to and can, can rationalize and figure out how they're going to vote based on those things. And it very much is regional. And my assumption when the finalists were announced was that Stetson Bennett cannibalized a lot of third place votes from other regions. Um, and it ended up looking like that to an extent. Um, he had 111 third place votes to Hooker's 81. Um, the, the 36 first place votes did surprise me. I'm surprised that Stetson Bennett got 36 first place votes for, for the Heisman, um, honestly. But yeah, that, that was my belief is that the regional element played in because that is very strong. You see that throughout the Heisman trends is where people vote and how they vote very much factors in on, on where people are and what they're seeing. Well, yeah. You I mean, you just look at it this year, the, the winner comes from the, the West coast. Uh, you have Max Duggan from the, the, the South Southwest from TCU there, CJ Stroud, you know, is getting the Midwest, the, the North Northeast votes. And then you have, you have Stetson Bennett, uh, representing the the southeast, it, it doesn't always work so neatly, quite quite like that. But it is it is pretty common that you have finalists represented from from multiple regions in the country. Mike, let's change gears here and um, and look ahead to the Orange Bowl a little bit. We talked about this on the podcast last week. I did with uh, with Adam and and John. Got their thoughts on the matchup. Curious what you think because. Over the weekend, I, I did a ranking list of the bowl games involving SEC teams. Uh, I ranked them from what I thought were least compelling to most compelling. I, I'm curious what you think because maybe I'm just here in the moment. I you know I, I cover the conference, but I still live here in, in Knoxville, um, so I got Tennessee in front of me every day. It's like what we talked about, you know, with your your region voting blocks and the Heisman. Well, maybe that maybe this influenced my ranking list on these bowl games because I put the Orange Bowl, third most compelling bowl among bowls involving SEC teams. I had the Peach Bowl number one. Uh, I mean, it's a playoff game. Even though Ohio State kind of backdoored their way 
into the playoff. I still think it's a it's a pretty good matchup between Georgia and Ohio State. You got two Heisman finalists at quarterback that we've already talked about, Stetson Bennett, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., the Ohio State wide receivers, is one of the best in the country. Georgia, nobody can match their talent. I, I, th- I think that's a really good bowl matchup. I had the, the Realia Quest Bowl, number two, used to be the, the Outback Bowl, Mississippi State, Illinois. But then I had the Orange Bowl, number three. That too high? Does this game interest you that much? Am I being blinded by the orange here? Or do you think that's fair? No, I, I found an intriguing matchup off the jump. I mean, certainly there's a decent a bit of regionality here. I mean, Greenville, Clemson area is two, two and a half hours away from Knoxville. So it's not, not a terribly long shot. Um, there's been some recruiting battles between the schools. So there, there's reason for it, for it to be interesting. Uh, obviously, Dabo Sweeney's spatulas comment about Tennessee losing to South Carolina and then losing to South Carolina after that. I mean, that, that adds a little bit of drama to it and, and intrigue and storyline just because Dabo is going to Dabo and man talks a lot. And for a long time, says a lot of words. So that adds intrigue to it, but it's two very big college football brands that, that don't play each other supremely often. Um, so you got region, you've got the orange versus orange in the orange bowl, which is just a natural humor to it. But yeah, I think it's an intriguing matchup. Uh, it's an intriguing matchup in styles too, maybe more so in terms of strengths than anything else. Um, it's a kind of a weakness on weakness in a way and the strength on strength. So um, I'm curious to see the matchup. I think it's, it's a good one for Tennessee. I think I, I was very intrigued by the sugar bowl matchup just because it's this, you know, blue collar. Kansas State program that probably isn't going to have many opt outs with Alabama. Who, what's the Alabama team going to look like? Is, right. Because Sugar Bowl is a disappointment for an Alabama team. And yeah. So and, 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 and Alabama players are stampeding for the transfer yeah. portal. Even, even aside from, uh, you know, the likely opt outs, they, they've had a number of, of players enter the transfer portal as well. Yeah. So that one has more intrigue to me than maybe it should on paper if, if both teams are at full strength. Arkansas, Kansas is fun just from the, the the locations there. But yeah, I like South Carolina, Notre Dame too, just because that's such a kind of a random matchup. Because um, South Carolina finished the year so hot, you wouldn't have really expected those those teams to face off. But yeah, I think Tennessee, Clemson's kind of got to be in that top two or three when you're looking at SEC bowl matchups. Yeah. Okay. So you you touched on a couple more there that that were in my top six. So I, f- I feel good about my my list. That uh, I just want to validate backs- you, Blake. That's all. that's that's right. That, that provides me the validation I I needed. But um, no, I, I mean I think you know the other thing that's interesting about this is w- would we love to see Hinn and Hooker in this game? Abs- absolutely. I'm you know I thought it was a very cruel ending to a, a special season, a special career at Tennessee. The, the way he went out with that knee injury, and yet I think for both of these programs. Clemson and Tennessee, we might be getting a glimpse of their potential starting quarterback for next year. Cade Klubnick has has taken the reins at, at Clemson after his standout relief performance in the ACC championship. DJU is now in the uh, in the transfer portal, so Klubnick's a guy going forward. It seems like for for Clemson, we get a he, he's making his first career start. And I think people forget that they think, oh well, he won the ACC championship. Well, he didn't start that game. He came in off off the bench. This will be his first start. Um, you know, in, in a high stakes game in the Orange Bowl. And then you look at Joe Milton. You know, he's the leader in the clubhouse right now to be Tennessee's starter next year. I think just based on on paper, what returns, right? Um, but you got Nico, the five-star freshman, Nico 
Iamaleava. I'm still trying to to get that down. I, I wrote a whole column on how to pronounce his last name, but it, it's, it still makes me pause every time. Uh, but Nico will be here. You have Taven Jackson set to return, um, who's been a freshman this year, and, and you don't know what, what Tennessee may pursue in the transfer portal. I still think they'd be wise uh, to keep keep their options open in, in the portal there. How important do you think this game is for Joe Milton and being viewed as, at least internally by the coaching staff, as 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 the guy for next year? Do you think it, it matters more based on what nibbles Tennessee could get in the portal? Or do you think if he goes out and you know and plays really well in this Orange Bowl, the staff will view him as, hey, he's he's our guy going in, going into next season? Yeah, I think the the caveat to everything you're talking about, Joe Milton, is Tennessee coaches see him day in day out, and they've talked highly about Joe throughout the season um, in terms of an attitude. The fact he stayed at Tennessee when he could have transferred out, um, the fact he he's worked hard, supported, and could have been a, the consummate teammate by all accounts. That 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 matters. That that level of knowledge of what they've seen throughout the year, I do think publicly it has to serve as some semblance of an audition, because he is, as you said, the the de facto clubhouse leader. He's got to be. Um, he returns a, an immense amount of experience, uh, multiple years in the offense, and those things matter. The other things that matter too are the consistent overthrows, which showed up again at Vanderbilt, which. Inclement weather probably ha- had a factor there, but there are also the overthrows that have been made when the weather's been perfectly fine for the first four years of his career as well. So it, it's got to be some form of an audition. I don't know what the weighted scale will be on that. Um, but if he goes out there and absolutely tears it up, I think you're talking immediately about that's your guy next year for Tennessee um, because freshman quarterbacks are fascinating, man. They can, they can be really good. They can be really bad. But I think either way, you don't want to live and die by one. You want to know what else you've got um, and not not put all your eggs on, on that player because there's never a more popular player coming to a school than a five-star quarterback. And that puts a lot of pressure on someone, and those guys don't always meet those expectations. So knowing knowing your commodities, I think, is huge. Um, obviously, Cade Klubnik is a five-star freshman who is now taken over from another former five-star quarterback, and I think that's a change that Dabo probably could have made could have made about 10 weeks ago. Uh, if, if we're hmm. calling it what it is, just yes. because DJ, DJ struggled so much, it seemed like from outward that it looked like a very obvious change, even very early in the season. But yeah, I think that's a more obvious. He is the starter next year for Clemson. And whereas Joe Milton probably needs to make a little bit more of a, a declaration about that. I'm curious, Mike, here uh, on, on our way out, when, when, when you're waiting for the final rankings to come out, I guess it was really the the penultimate rankings that kind of determined where Tennessee would go bowling. But anyway, as, as the final weeks are playing out, fans have their preferred destination for bowls, right? And I know a lot of fans fans were understandably upset that Tennessee is ranked behind Alabama. I, I, I get the frustration there. Tennessee won the head-to-head. I think it's wrong. I think Tennessee should be ranked ahead of, of Alabama. And yet, I think based on matchup, I think a lot of fans, once you put aside your frustration by the ranking – you say, hey, this is a fun matchup, Clemson-Tennessee. For you, being someone who's going to spend a few days at the bowl location, cover this, uh, I'm sure uh, have yourself a good time when 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 it allows. You're not working all day, right, Mike? <laughs> Don't answer that. Which which was your preference? Did you did you have a dog in the fight here? Were you were you hoping for for something? 
Uh, I was on uh, team anywhere but Dallas. Um, you did not want the Cotton Bowl. Okay. Did not want the Cotton Bowl. I've I've done the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I gained like six pounds in a week uh, covering the Cotton Bowl when Michigan State played Alabama in the playoff a few years back. Uh, Dallas is fun. Been there for that. Been there for an NCAA tournament as well. So felt like I didn't need that one again. Never covered a game down in Miami, so that was interesting to me. You can't beat eating in New Orleans for a week. So that that was was probably the matchup I was most interested in. Uh, Just was, eating? You wouldn't you wouldn't have had anything to drink in New Orleans? They have water in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Right? Water in uh-huh. um like sparkling waters? Yes. Okay. Um Miami is a, is a great spot to be, obviously. You're talking about being in Florida in December and but I think yeah, the matchup is so much better um for for Tennessee to go down there and play Clemson. Uh, because those are Recruits don't decide, in my mind, in my understanding, based on a head-to-head result. But I think it would play in Tennessee's favor to be able to say they got a bowl win on Clemson, if that's how it shakes out. Because that is a team they're going to go up against plenty in recruiting. They already do. They have for a long time. Kansas State is not that. Um, So this gives you a little bit more legroom in that area. It's a more intriguing matchup. There's a lot more to it. so I, I know there was the frustration about the rankings, which that being what it is, everyone already knew that that was what the rankings were going to say in that last week. So the frustration was was predictable, um, but also avoidable, given that it was an, an obvious outcome. There shouldn't have been surprise left in that. But yeah, ten- Tennessee, to me, got the better of the situations, and me as a media member did as well. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks for, for joining me on the podcast this week. I will see you in Miami uh, as we are down there uh, with Adam Sparks as well to cover Tennessee and Clemson in the Orange Bowl. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.